Welcome to another episode of The Granite List Live. I'm your host, Sally Pace, and I am here live at U Powered Symposium, joined by Dr. Mary O'Connor. She is the co-founder and chief medical officer of Vori Health. Uh, Mary, thrilled for you to be here. I know you have a, a keynote address um, later on at the symposium. But I wanna I wanna dive into what I think you're gonna address and, and talk about um, a difficult topic, and that is, why is it so difficult for the healthcare system in the U.S. to adopt yeah. change? Well, Sally, uh, that is obviously the question for all of us, and I, I will share some of my, my learnings over the years on this. And I think it fundamentally comes to the payment model, because if you follow the money, right, mm -hmm. you will therein find the reasons why decisions are made and driven. And for all healthcare systems in this country, the margin is generated by surgery, 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 advanced imaging, and procedures. So if, we, if there's an innovation that, it, that will ultimately decrease the number of surgeries, imaging, or procedures, that will financially be negative to a healthcare system. And that's then threatening because mm -hmm. healthcare systems need to make a margin and that's how they make their margin. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that there's a lot of these surgeries, advanced imaging and procedures that are clinically inappropriate. This has been well published. We can look at studies that cite 50%, 50% of people with low back surgeries, right. that those surgeries were inappropriate. That's like startling. I, I mean, I, it's still hard for me to wrap my head around that. But what is even more concerning to me is that of those patients that have those low back surgeries, within the first year, over 7% are back in the operating mm. room for another operation. So this is like nuts. It's like craziness. And, and I'm a surgeon. I'm an orthopedic right. surgeon. Right. That is how and you I do. don't. And I don't think that my surgeon colleagues, I need to say this, yes. are evil or bad people. They have a skill. They have a bias towards surgical treatment because that's how they're trained. And it's human nature that when you have a hammer, all the world's a nail. So, so we see a multitude of factors aligning to support this overutilization of surgery, advanced imaging, and procedures. The payment model, the model of care delivery where patients go from a primary care physician to a surgeon, and the primary care physicians, specifically in my world of spine and orthopedics, are oftentimes not as knowledgeable. So they refer to the surgeon, and then there's the, the surgeon, the surgical bias. And so we really need a different model that is going to focus on supporting patients for better, more holistic, non-surgical care first. It's, it's a simple concept. Let's see if we can get you better without an operation. And you know, some people still need surgery. If you do, we'll get you to a great surgeon. So our audience is employers and the mm -hmm. consultants that they hire to help them make decisions for their plan members. Um, and so I think so often employers get caught up in headcount, but it's so much deeper than that. You're really, um, you're proposing that people look at demographics and disparities in making decisions um, on health care. So help paint a picture of the landscape yeah. right now. What are you seeing? Well, I mean, this is part of that broader concept of more holistic care and incorporating a biopsychosocial model 
into a model of care delivery. And what we know is that health disparities are real. I do a lot of work in the health equity space, and I chair a national nonprofit focused on promoting health equity, particularly in the spine and orthopedic space, to focus on movement. It's called Movement is Life. And, and what we know is that <laughs> by any objective measure, okay, the healthcare system has failed to improve health in this country, and all you have to do is look at the incredible rates of obesity, hypertension, diabetes, and if you go a little bit deeper and you look at populations that are more impacted by those conditions, we understand that there are sex differences, women more likely to be obese than men, certain racial ethnic groups more likely to be obese, and uh, namely African Americans, Hispanic Latinos, although, trust me, there's no one here that can, you know, tout like we're doing great. Everyone is doing very poorly in the, in the realm of increasing chronic diseases. Now why does this matter so much if I'm an employer, particularly if I'm a self um, funded employer mm -hmm. is that th these are my people that make up my workforce. These are the people that cost me in terms of rising health care costs. And as we look at the shifting of the demographics, this country will be a non-white majority in 2045. That's like not far away. And the demographics are shifting with the biggest increase in the population being in the Hispanic Latino sector. Mm -hmm. And so if we have a population where obesity is going to be higher, diabetes, other conditions like that, then this means that the health of the nation would be projected to be worse based on these changing demographics. Mm -hmm. So yet another reason why we, we have to drive for innovation in healthcare delivery and the healthcare space, and we have to equally recognize the importance of addressing these disparities. So, to that end, where should we be focusing? I mean, what is what is your vision of the perfect utopia? All right. So, like in my perfect world, wellness would belong in the community, and sick care would stay in the doctor's office. And my personal opinion is that. Doctors and nurses are not well trained in wellness. They're trained in taking care of illness and sickness. And trust me, there's, there's a lot of education simply to be able to do that. So I think that personally we're asking way too much of the healthcare system to address wellness when we need to move wellness into communities. Does an individual have access to fresh fruit and vegetables in their neighborhood grocery store at a reasonable price? Can they go out and walk in their neighborhood to increase their level of physical activity and is that safe? Right? Like there are real issues that we have in our communities and so this is a multifactorial problem and it has to be addressed on multiple levels. Policy, community advocacy, um, the healthcare sector, mm -hmm. uh, employers, because we're all, we're all in this together, essentially. And, and if there's one thing I hope we learn from the pandemic is that we are all in this together. And an affluent community cannot separate themselves from a non-affluent community. A virus knows no socioeconomic balance. Uh, we've, you are so yeah. right. We certainly have learned that. Um, 
and it doesn't care if you're employed or not, but it certainly does impact an employer's bottom line. It certainly does. You mentioned your nonprofit. If somebody wants to learn more about the nonprofit you alluded to earlier, where would they go to learn? Uh, Movementislife.com, and um, just Google Movement is Life. Perfect. And you can find us um, on the Internet. Awesome. And we are proud at the Granite List to feature Vori Health as well. So for folks that want to learn more about what Vori is doing in the space and what um, and how they're solving for some of these demographic and disparity problems, they can go to Vori or they can learn about you on the Granite List. Yeah. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. And thank you to our audience for listening to another episode of the Granite List Live. Thank you, Sally. Hope everyone has a great day.